When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins. And in this episode, we speak with Saim Sadiq, the writer, director of Joyland, which premieres in the US today, April 7th, 2023. The film was the first Pakistani feature to premiere at Cannes, where it won the jury prize. And it was shortlisted for this year's Oscars as Pakistan's entry for Best International Film. Joyland tells the story of a man who lives with his wife, his father, and his elder brother's family in Pakistan. After a long spell of unemployment, he lands a job working as a background dancer at a sort of Bollywood-style burlesque show, though he tells his family he's the theater manager, and he falls in love with the transgender woman who runs the show. The film is awesome. And you'll hear how much it's played all over the world leading up to this release. I don't want to spoil it for you. And in our conversation, we not only speak about the creation of this story and the years that it took to figure it out and to bring it to life on screen, but we also unpack how Syme works with talent and creates space for performance and also creates a set that prioritizes people over productivity. I loved learning about Sime's leadership style, and I think it's this is a must listen for anyone who aspires to lead on set, be that as a director, a producer, a department head, or the head PA. So let's dig in. Welcome, Sime. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, my pleasure. Um, now I want to start in a way that I have yet to start any podcast interview that I've done for no film school, but telling a little anecdote about how I first came across Joyland. (laughs) Are you ready? I am ready. (laughs) Okay. So at the Sundance Film Festival, they run this preview before most, before all the films. And it sort of has these shots and moments from, from all the feet films and shorts that are featured. And there was a, there's a shot from your movie of a man riding on a moped with a woman standing around him. And I had no context for it, but it was one of the most striking images I've ever seen and haunting and, and compelling and, and then I saw it in your film preparing for this interview. And it was like this wonderful connection of like this image that has stood out to me for months now. And I finally got to see it in context, but alone the image is something else. So can you tell me about that shot in particular? 
Well, thank you. I'm glad. I was quite excited to see the Sundance teaser. I was like, oh, there's, they, they put that, they put our shot. It's it's been an image from the very early drafts of the script. Funnily enough, um, like a lot has evolved over the course of the making of the film, particularly the writing of the film. But that image was one of the you know sort of the cornerstones of the film in a way for me because it, for me it kind of said everything about the film in a way because it's a is a giant cut out on a mob like a tiny moped with a very tiny man kind of you know in comparison he looks so tiny and small compared to this larger than life persona of this beautiful gorgeous trans girl who's obviously a star and going through the streets of a very conservative you know uh, society in, in the middle of the night you know with uh, uh it, it just the contrast of it and it, it, it for me it, like that said everything uh, about the film without explicitly kind of pointing out those things and just how that image of beauty but also you know sexuality in a, in a certain way uh is so fascinating but also so challenging you know to everybody around so so it 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 when it was uh, it came down to like what's going to be the first still that we put out you know for press etc and for marketing it was kind of a no brainer for everybody to be like that's the shot i mean the shot with without context and and now i know from the story of the film that the man driving is working for the woman who is pictured in the cutout and this is a promotional for their sort of Bollywood style uh, show that they put on. But when I saw the film, I was like, she's a goddess riding, riding on this moped. And, and then, you know, of course that is just the most cinematic image of the story that you chose to tell. So for our listeners who haven't yet to see the film, can you give us a brief overview of what Joyland is about? Well, Joyland is a story about uh, this very conservative, patriarchal, middle-class family in Old Lahore. Um, and uh, it focuses on all the family members, but primarily, of course, follows the story of the youngest son who's, uh, who's married and is a stay-at-home husband uh, until he gets a job uh, as a background dancer for this fascinating uh, and very volatile uh, trans girl called Biba. And, and how they slowly start to fall in love and form a relationship and how that sort of shakes the foundations of patriarchy and, and, and the way everybody's functioning at home. Uh, and also, of course, changes their life, uh, you know, forever in a, in a beautiful but also tragic way, mm-hmm. uh, what the film is about. And how did you come to this story as the writer and director? Um, it was, uh, you know, like, it, it's hard to always, like, any for any idea to say like, where did it really come from? Like the first kernel or the first germ of the idea of like this man and a woman and a trans woman all sort of, you know, bound together in this tragic love triangle. It just came to me one day. I, I you know, like, and, and uh, of course a lot evolved over the course of the making of the film. And, and I of course realized when I started writing it, that of course this is my first film because these are all things that I personally struggle with. And I personally have been thinking about, before I decided to make a film about it, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's patriarchy or whether it's ideas of masculinity or whether it's just the shame associated with desire, not just back home, but everywhere in the world, you know, mm-hmm. there's a certain sort of uh, stigma associated with, I don't know, anything that has to do with sexuality and gender, you know, and the, 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 the level of stigma and the level of shame, of course, changes as you move across countries, but there's something rather universal about mm-hmm. people still everywhere in the world being a little shy talking about just something that they want for themselves, you know, and which happens to be perhaps the most natural of all things to talk about, you know, yeah. but, but somehow 
societies have functioned in a way over the course of history that that's the one thing that shame has been associated with. And so for me, those were, you know, things that I, I, I could endlessly think about. And, you know, and, and so for me, there was just a very cathartic experience to, to write this film, but particularly to actually shoot it with a bunch of people and realize that it's a personal story for me, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's personal for all of these people. Somehow they've all found a way, found it very easy to connect with this material and to put in their own sort of, you know, uh, not just their talent, but also a little bit of their soul and their history yeah. to it, uh, which was, uh, was really heartening. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's such a specific story to a specific location. But as you mentioned, the the there's this universality to the story, which is the shame and shame and sort of like figuring out how to express your sexuality to even yourself. Yeah. And and it felt like in a way it these three characters were were growing and evolving alongside each other with each other crossing over and 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 I saw a bit of myself in everyone, in each character, which I think is was such a uh, interesting experience to to watch and be like, oh, yep, I've done that, I've been that, I know that exact mindset. So, fantastic, makes me happy. <laughs> um, can you speak about the life of the film thus far? Where has it screened? How has it been received? So, it we had our world premiere uh, about ten months ago in uh, Uncertain Regard in, in the Cannes Film Festival. And then we premiered, we, like, I think, uh, couldn't have asked for a better place to, to premiere the film and to start our journey because I think the way that festival takes care of first-time filmmakers, takes care of international films, you know, with the kind of respect and adulation uh, and, and, and just the positioning that they offer to, to your film is, like, is something that I'm forever grateful for with, mm-hmm. what, with Joyland, I think. And uh, from there, we, of course, you know, been traveling all across the world by now. We've been to the film premiered at TIFF, the North American premiered, premiered at Sundance, premiered at BFI, uh, you know, won a couple of things at Cannes and at, uh, at BFI. And uh, it's, it's now sort of in the middle of its uh, theatrical releases. It's released in France. Uh, and Pakistan already in 2022 and then uh, released in Spain and the UK and releases in Belgium and Luxembourg, Netherlands, and then, of course, the U.S. in April. Have you just been traveling? Absolutely. Not <laughs> in, in a plane. Uh, have, yeah. Any, any like, travel tips that you have for, for people? It's like, you always have to bring your eye shades and your blank. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Stay home in your pajamas. For me, I was like, I just want to be home. Oh, uh, my God. Travel tip. I don't unpack is my big travel tip. After a point in time when I start, like stopped unpacking, I think it was good. It was just, I saved a lot of time, a lot of anxiety into thinking, what am I going to take? Where, where am I going to take it? And also just mentally speaking, I think it was helpful for me to just accept the fact that I am living out of a suitcase. You know, for the first couple of months, I was avoiding that fact. And yeah. then in October, I was like, I'm just not going to unpack. You know, I'm going to live out of the suitcase, even if I'm home. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so that, that there, there is, you know, accepting that this is the life that you're living for now kind of, you know, took me a while, but, but once you do it, it's, it's a bit easier. When, so in your travels and like seeing all the, these, seeing theaters full of people watching the film, which must be incredible to be seeing also the reception in, you know, everywhere from like Utah to I assume Paris, if we're doing a French premiere, but, but what has been the most surprising reaction? Like the scene that you didn't expect people to connect with? 
but there were many surprises honestly i mean i remember at the at the fir- at, i mean at the first screening at the world premiere in cannes we it was like a huge theater with like some 2000 plus seats and there's a song that happens somewhere in the middle of the film which is like a big moment for a bunch of these characters and and that's also where the film gets its title like for from a, a small scene within that song and i remember when they started dancing the whole theater started clapping mm-hmm. uh which was insane because it's such a it's a very bollywood south asian movie experience thing you know like now people would know perhaps after rrr that you know like reacting to what's happening on screen out loud in a theater it's a very you know commercial uh, mainstream bollywood movie space yeah and, and and for a moment of course this film was kind of transitioning into that and giving these people that kind of highlight um you know starry moment and 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 to have the audience be accepting and and actually responding in in that way at a very bougie festival like can you know the french responding like that was was insane it was like oh these you know like it, it it was sort of unifying in a, in a way that oh even these people will react to a moment like that if you get them connected enough to the character yeah that was really uh, surprising and i think so as a through line what's been the most surprising is is what happens at in a theatrical viewing i think after the film ends the kind of silence and 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 this like moment of like you know uh, like so people are sniffling and you know you like you tissues are being passed and like it's it's uh, and, and that's of course nice but you don't expect people to there is a quiet that people need mm-hmm. uh, like usually like at sundance for example you know they were like we're going to play the whole credits after the screening even though there was a q and a and i was like okay usually festivals don't play the full credits and i realized that it's a good thing because not a single person left yeah there was like 5 minutes long credits and usually half the theater leaves and i was like not a single person left and it was so nice because the people needed that time to kind of decompress and 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 process the film mm-hmm. and i realized that oh the the film kind of weighs heavy towards the end towards the end and and yeah. if you just finish the film and immediately come and start talking about like oh where did the film come from what's the acting process what's this and that you know people are not they're not ready enough to actually engage with that uh, you know they need some 5 10 minutes to process it which was yeah. which was beautiful which was beautiful because i think it's almost like they're saying goodbye to what you know what i'm not going to ruin the film but you know they're there's it's a moment that you need to say goodbye to some of the characters in particular one of them which i was like oh the the, the impact of 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 all of them but particularly that one character is is uh, you know who's actually a supporting character in the film is uh, is, is something that i didn't anticipate would be that deep with with, mm-hmm. with such a you know like no matter where you screen the film that's been a recurring thing which has been nice and it's funny enough also only happens in the theaters doesn't have uh, uh, you know so much when people because i think collectively speaking in a theater without your phone that suffer that kind of viewing experience lends itself to you being moved on a much deeper level yeah connecting with these characters on a deeper level uh, versus i don't know watching it at home Right. you know like on a smaller screen with your phone and your food delivery and all of that stuff happening at the same time so you know that it made me re- be happy that we're going for a theater release rather than a, like a straight to absolutely it's it's interesting that you bring up the juxtaposition of the the feeling at the midpoint where people are clapping along and and it is such a it is such a moment of like life and and happiness and excitement and the ending um, and i think a lot of the time when we're thinking of dramas is she frozen like, well, for everyone you know, or we're going to go there and 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 sit in this place and and experience it and and we can only experience it in its difficulty but like for i think i do think that's an example of how our stories also need to have moments of levity mm-hmm. and light and happiness mm-hmm. and hope 
for the story to land and you know for this it's a difficult story to tell but i but there's so there are these moments of light and levity and excitement for the characters and also just a gentle element that i think was critical and the person who is not i mean i think that you did such a good job with those reversals and turning them on their heads and i'm curious what was the process of figuring out who these characters were once you started to endeavor on writing the story it was different for all of the like you know all the individual characters self came to me in a different way like the two lead women came to me so instantly like abiba and mumtaz both they i don't know from the the moment the film sort of the first idea of the film came to me i knew who these girls were and of course they evolved and they you know i explore got to explore them on a deeper level over the course of the writing but uh, i i don't know I, i find it much more women much more interesting and thereby much easier for me and more exciting for me to write and the heather's part was the trickiest because i like i kept trying to sort of fiddle with with like trying to find the archetype that he was as a character mm-hmm. and i couldn't like none of them felt correct and almost had to sort of like i didn't want him to be like a like a sad little pathetic boy but i also didn't want him to have any sort of you know machismo and i wanted there to be a grace in in the way he listens and doesn't talk almost throughout the film mm-hmm. and it was tricky to write because it's a lead character who doesn't talk uh, you know almost at all like yeah. i remember ali and i who's the actor who's playing heather we were doing the first read uh, after he was cast of the whole script so he was reading his character and i was reading everything else and i like i basically was reading the whole script because i was yeah. like i was like oh you don't have a lot of lines really he's like yeah not really but it's such a tricky part because of that purpose so to create i think all of them sort of came from very different spaces like they they like mumtaz and nuchi both the sisters and law came from a lot of women in my family in mm-hmm. a sort of you know sort of observations of that you have to sort of remember and then allow them to sort of feed into uh, into the script of watching my aunts working at home doing kind of domestic labor that you know is going to go unnoticed mm-hmm. you know that there is no way anybody is going to of course it's it's unpaid it's unappreciated and it's invisible mm-hmm. you know and, and and that's something that kind of you know slowly became the cornerstone of you know how invisible these women are but then also how invisible all of these people feel despite the fact that the men are of course far, mis- far more visible but when it comes to their desires they do have to make that part of themselves invisible and that's what sort of joins the whole ensemble of characters who are also different from each other mm-hmm. but there is that one thing of you know their desire being invisible that kind of joins them all together and they're all sort of fighting the same battle albeit sometimes against each other uh, but mm-hmm. they don't know that you know if only they were aware that the person i'm trying to hide something from is also hiding something from me it would just be so much easier uh, but that's unfortunately the 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 curse of patriarchy uh in yeah. a way so so i think it was it was different things like biba also came a lot from again just my desire to see a trans girl who wasn't a sad sort of caricature of what we think trans girls are and mm-hmm. and, and to be able to sort of understand that she's to, to make a character who was more than just trans right right you know who was more than who who brought on more to the screen than just her trans experience Right. you know because i i also find that to be extremely dehumanizing to be like why you know do men and women get all the shades of gray and 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 you know and and get to have fun on screen with their characters you know and get to do wrong things sometimes yeah. get to say the wrong thing to make the wrong decisions etc but uh, the if you want it comes to like a trans character suddenly you need her to be this righteous cute nice girl and i was like that's the one thing like i don't think this girl is and we're not going to be sort of pressurized to do that at any stage you know she's going to sometimes be rude she's going to be aggressive 
She's going to be mean sometimes. And, and, and you understand why she's doing all of this. Right. And you're still going to root for it, you know? And, and so, so, and then of course, Alina herself, you know, came, became almost sort of, you know, very, very critical, like a cornerstone in terms of writing a lot of the lines of that character. So you mm. had to bring her on board to be able to make it authentic in a certain way. So, like I said, I mean, sourced from very different places and honed from many, many different places as well, all of them. Yeah. The, I mean, I think the the characters are so, so dynamic because they're real and flawed and it's super refreshing. I mean, my my sister is trans and and so I, I'm very aware of like the like the lack of truth in so many characters and the caricatures that we see that are not allowed to have flaws. Like they have to be the model blank and it's so refreshing to like see so, so, somebody with life like somebody like the the a character that is full and complete and flawed and is very like i i don't know i i i, I she was set, so it it just makes sense that she would be larger than life on the back of that moped like that is the her character is that and she is a performer and she is that first if anything and and that's what i i loved about it <laughs> hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm curious to hear, we love getting into the nitty gritty here on No Film School because we're making things. And I want you to take us through like a day in the life on set, maybe like getting one shot in particular. Like what is your style? Are you rehearsing? Are you sitting there with the actors like this or are you behind the lens making sure that you're getting exactly what you need and letting it breathe take us through um, that all of that, <laughs> that yes, uh, yes. but there's a time i mean i think over the course of the shoot because it was my first film i had done short films before so thankfully it wasn't like uh i needed a lot of time to figure out but you know it took me a, a day or two to to figure out okay i need to figure out where to be first and then where to be second and where to be third and sort of, you know, create that process. And my ADs, of course, were mm-hmm. absolutely instrumental in making that happen for me. I think what we would do is like, for example, on every day, it's an indie film. So we we're shooting more than one scene for most days, you know, like uh, there were very few days where we were only shooting one scene. But what we would do is in the morning when everybody comes, I would discuss the scene the way I think it should be done. And of course, there's a short list. So my DP knows and my ADs know and my production designers know what scene we're shooting and what the shots are. I would discuss mm-hmm. with them. And then the actors usually arrive a little bit later, you know, so like 20 minutes, half an hour later. And before they get their breakfast and stuff, I would bring them straight to the set first to block mm-hmm. the scene out in with the way I want to do it, you know, and see if they're comfortable with it. If they're, you know, because most scenes, some scenes, of course, we had rehearsed because we had workshops, but most scenes we hadn't rehearsed, sometimes because of time and sometimes because I didn't think that we should rehearse the scene. I think we should preserve mm-hmm. it, you know, like the, for example, the climax, the big fight between the family, when the sister-in-law, it's not a scene that I could rehearse ever, you know, because there is an improv involved in it. And, you know, I could only get the actors to get to that level once. And I was like, that has to happen on camera on the day of the shoot. But we mm-hmm. blocked it a little bit, you know, and like that happened with every scene. And so it's like, okay, you move here. Are you comfortable? Okay. So, you know, you, you figure that out and you see if the actors have a better impulse than you did. And then you send them to makeup and then they get ready and you 
give the time to the the DP to light it out, and then you keep practicing that movement with the stand-ins, with your ads, etc. You know, just mm-hmm. to to feel it out, and then. I usually what I do is I once the the camera is set and you know the shot is ready I send everybody out. I don't like to have people on set. So I'm like I, even if there's like a makeup person or whatever I would kick them out and tell them far away as no. possible. And so the only the next like is almost like every set was almost like a close set. You know even if we're shooting just two no. people talking it would be a close set. I would say that every every set is a close set because for me I think that was like that worked like a charm because if it's just the DP the sound guy and the actors it just you know you get the slate done and you leave it's 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 just a freer space to interact for the dp and yeah. the actor to interact you know for the sound to interact with the dp etc and then i do a lot of takes usually and not for the sake of doing a lot of takes but i think the actors that i had also were sort of aware of because we were doing a lot of long shots it's 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 uh, you mm-hmm. know we could uh, if it's a just a close up of course you would do 3 4 maximum 5 takes and you'd be done with it but if it's a long shot that involves a lot of movement or that involves a lot of there's something dynamic that happens like the scene in a bedroom where you know the the lights sort of come on their face when they're just about to kiss or well, that's a very long scene with a lot of dialogue and it's reliant on her and him both to move at the right time and the camera mm-hmm. to move at the right time and the lights to fall on their face at the right time so but for that to happen and for it not to become taxing i think just the fact that we're just playing the idea of like you know keep the crew out keep the technical stuff out we're like we'll play as long as we know we have 3 hours so we were going to shoot this for 3 hours you know we're not going to try and finish this mm-hmm. sooner and because there's always something more to find you know and, and that's my yeah. time with the actors uh, so i talk to them at the mm-hmm. makeup room before but when i bring them on set i know that i'll have a direct line to them they'll be right here you know and we can just drag as people rather than uh, you have to make it a bit less professional looking you know a bit less technical looking to for them to feel comfortable yeah. and for them to feel that this is all real you know even though they're great yeah. actors and you know no matter how great an actor is you know you can always assist that process in sort of doing the make believe in their head for them a little bit uh, or making it easier for them yeah. and so just it's it's fun to then play to to get a good take but then still be like oh we have time so why don't we try it this way you know like it's a tiny change but yeah. then suddenly uh, like you know it takes out a different response from the co-actor and then you're like oh suddenly the scene is alive in a different way and there's a nuance to it which wasn't there before So I I love doing that. So uh, for my whole day is based on the mm-hmm. idea that I hope I get to do a lot of takes. You know, so let's just get the setup done quickly because I would like to do a lot of takes. I know I'm I'm not the director who'd be like okay we just need to shoot and move on to shoot. Like I'm not here to capture things if they're not interesting enough. I'm always like we're capturing yeah. thing but let's make it more interesting. So for me that that the uh, that's that's key. Can you talk to me about how you speak to your actors like are How do you unlock these moments especially when there's a long take? It's a different process. I think my biggest learning from this film has been that because it was an ensemble film, I was like it's a different process for every actor. And you have to find you have to be aware of the fact that you cannot go with your sort of, you know, regular generic director toolkit and I've been to a film school. So I very much have that mm-hmm. toolkit. But but a lot of those tools may work for one actor and would be the worst thing you could do for the other actor. you know so you need to sort of befriend yeah. and i personally also like there's a need for me to sort of fall in love with them as people and befriend them and to know mm-hmm. them inside out enough to to understand that this is this is what works for them and and that includes of course talking to them directly and being like how do you prefer how do you like to be directed what works for you what doesn't work for you you know do personal references mm-hmm. work for you does my personal reference would work for you you know what's the sort of you know comfortability level also in terms of Are you okay with sourcing from your life? If not, then let's not do it. Let's find another way. You know, 
mm-hmm. some director some actors respond to result direction really well you know the, the really trained one they like don't don't tell me about all the you know spiel tell me to make it faster i'll make it faster it look amazing like yeah. the, the sister in law for example who's like a very trained actor you know she's she responds to just so well the result direction but of course you have to ground her in something before and then you could literally just mm-hmm. be like it's just you know make it a little bit like bring it down and sometimes it just Uh, yeah. you know and even though that's something that's been advised against all your life but that's an actor telling you don't need no need to bullshit yeah. me like just come and tell yeah. me straight up what to do and uh, for some actors like for elena even or uh, you know i i would i would notice or even for rasti for example who plays montaz i would notice that mm-hmm. giving them something specific but then just letting it be like you have to just watch the actor i think that's the one thing you have to watch the actor's face when you're giving them a direction and there's a light bulb that goes on once that goes on you need mm-hmm. to stop talking immediately because you sometimes also overload the actor with so much information right before a take and they don't know what to carry forward you know there's so much so you need to give them as much as then suddenly when there's a light bulb you're like oh there's something i don't know if they got what i wanted them to get but there is a spark here some there's an impulse now they have been rattled and now we need to just say action as quickly as possible because they're carrying something within them and we need to see it on screen and they need to see it on screen and it's exciting for actors as well because they don't know what they're going to do you know and you don't know yeah. what they're going to do and that's a great space to be in because that's where the magic happens usually uh the magic you know like that's that's not written that cannot be thought out uh you know yeah yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Rosti mm-hmm. Farouk, uh, who plays uh, Mumtaz. <laughs> yes. Uh, she is one of the most... somebody that i couldn't look away from her performance was so critical like it, the story was so critical on her performance as well and knowing exactly how she's feeling and uh and and so i'm curious how did how did you go about finding her for this i role? had done a short film a long time ago a very mm-hmm. bad short film but the only good thing in it was her <laughs> uh you know and and i knew that she's a very good actor and she was uh, so she was actually funnily enough it's a very long story but she was the first person i sent the script to when the script was ready and i was like okay we're casting now i was like okay i i'm sending you the script and then she wrote me such a long email you know talking about the character being like of course i'd love to do it somehow we couldn't cast her immediately but we cast her later in the process but it was sort of meant to be oh, her and 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 you know she's just like one of the most incredible actors and 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 certainly the most like i'll say this like they're all amazing in the film but she's the most she was the most exciting to direct because she whatever mm-hmm. we're talking about this sort of impulsive spontaneity where she doesn't know what she's going to do before a take and for me and my yeah. dp joe we would always be the most excited to shoot her because we couldn't predict what she'll do you know and it was of course it wasn't like oh she starts running around even though she does that in one scene but she like it was tiny things where you would be like she just speaks so fast and she's almost out of control in a certain way you know like mm. there's something very erratic about her and the way her she was interpreting the character which was really exciting to 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 watch uh, and for her to be to piece those things together and for her to keep 
the strength and the innocence alive, but also the the heartbreak and the slow disintegrating feeling that this woman is slowly disintegrating in front of everybody, but nobody's noticing. But she's still able to retain this life yeah. right up until the very end at totally. her birthday. She still can sort of you know liven up the whole uh, the whole room and the screen, which is uh, a very few actors I think can can sort of manage and will make both of these things believable at the same time. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head with um, the care, like this character goes through a journey and we see her slowly being tamped down and, and this, the world built around her is the walls are closing in and very easily the listeners can't see us, but I'm like bending down. It's like she could go inside a shell and the performance could be closed down that way, but it's that life behind her eyes and the performance that really yeah. just like kept spark alive. Oh, you're like the spark is alive till the very end, and you're like, is that's that's what makes it so uh, believable. But also, like you, I felt for her way mm-hmm. more because of this idea that she interpreted the character as a person whose spark never dies. You know, it, it yeah. never really yeah. dies. Yeah. Now, what was the the biggest challenge of creating this film, especially moving as as a first time feature filmmaker? you know, a lot of our listeners are, are looking towards that and they don't know what they don't know, which is also might be a good thing, but what was the biggest overall challenge making this transition um, into long form? Honestly, I was so, it took me a long, t- I mean, uh, I, I was lucky enough to be able to make this film when we did, you know, it, it was on an average way sooner than w- w- what happens with most people. So I completely understand that we were lucky we were on the luckier end of the spectrum for sure but i started writing this in 2015 and we shot it in 2021 so i literally had all this time to think about the film so i was so ready that even the idea that some problem would happen or some challenge would be faced was exciting because i had thought of all the problems in my head that oh i hope one day my actor is mean to me because i know exactly what all the options are in terms of how i'll respond to it i hope like what kind of the light breaks in the middle of a scene I have thought, you know, you one has, you know, and, and so you're excited about facing the problems and to see how will you respond because I've been waiting for yeah. so long. So yes. I, I didn't perceive any of those things, you know, of course they happen. I think it was a rather smooth shoot as, as a challenge, mm-hmm. but it was, I can certainly speak about the learning and, and sort of the beauty of, of making a film in this way where we, it was a very emotional set, for example. And so sometimes it would, it would be a question like the day we were shooting the big dance sequence, my choreographer and it was like fourth or fifth or sixth day of the shoot, I think fifth day of the shoot. And my choreographer had, a, and we were running late and we were over time already. And, you know, there were 500 extras and this big setup and all of that. And in the middle, my choreographer had this sort of emotional moment, like he got overwhelmed because it was his first time choreographing a film, a feature film as well. It was a lot of people's first film. And to, mm-hmm. to understand that, oh, we're going to be the set that stops and pauses. And allows that person to have a moment because it's it's beautiful and we're you know let's not be so agent like productivity driven that we're like no 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 these are five minutes we could be doing five more takes and like no well let's wait let's have the let's talk to him let's give him a hug it's beautiful that he's watching his choreography and he's so connected to the emotion of the scene and he's like connecting to the character of heather and he's being like oh he's he's feeling something like a, a moment of joy and levity that he will never feel again in the film. And so, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. like saying goodbye to joy because that's the last time any of those characters experience joy in the film is that dance. And he yeah. was like, he wanted to say goodbye. And then we all had a little bit of a moment. And I thought that was 
it was not something that anybody teaches you about filmmaking, but it's the only form of art that's collaborative. You know, mm-hmm. a painter can make a painting on their own. And and there's something to be said that I think like words like auteur or, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of narcissistic and, and, and not true because an auteur cannot make the film alone. Nobody has ever made a film alone. Right. It, it's a group of people that come together to make a film. You know, it's almost like a shared baby. And, and, and to be able to do that, it, it must be that all the parents should be happy and, and all the parents should be taken care of mm-hmm. like you take care of a pregnant mom. So in that sense, it, it was a nice learning to, to, to be like, and that energy eventually reflects on screen, you know, because all mm-hmm. the people, mm-hmm. all the actors and the crew heads, they, they, they don't just come and do their job. They do more. Yeah. They put their heart and soul out. And, right. and they, it's not a, just a phrase. It, 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 it actually shows, especially for a film like this, you know, actors can stop at a certain level or they can go all the way, uh, you know, in putting themselves right, out right. In, in, in sort of, you know, putting themselves through certain very emotionally taxing situations. And, and for, for that mm-hmm. to happen, you need to have a set that's, that's really, uh, that's, that's one that takes care of people. And that if your film is trying to foster a sense yeah. of empathy, you should start with the set and, and make that a place where your empathy is really the most important thing first. I, I'm I love this because I come I don't come from the filmmaking world and and sometimes I I get into these spaces or I see how the industry is run and and there there is no HR there is no because sets are a films are something that start and then they end and they go away to set a safe environment where people can prioritize humans. Yeah. That's something I really see a lot. I feel like we glorify this grind. And it was something that I would see in film school when I went to it and dropped out. And I see it with my friends who are successful in the industry. And I, and I, when I question it, like people are like, well, this is just what it is. It is what it is. So I I have yet to like hear of an experience where, like, where did you find that and decide that that was the space you were going to make? Where did that come from? That's an interesting question. I I don't know honestly. I, I I remember first day of shoot. I went and I was this. I was thirty at the time. I'm I'm thirty one now. And at thirty, I remember going on set and a lot of the sort of uh, all a lot of the department heads, if not all of them, were older than me. You know, and they had done some work before. And and, and especially the technical crew. You know, the gaffers and the and the focus pullers and all. They were like 50, 60, super experienced. The crew is super experienced. You know, like the 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 boys that come with. And I remember going, walking around the set and there, they, I remember them sort of looking around and being, cause that's the first day they're coming on set, the, the G&E boys, at least looking around and being like, who's the director? And like, they're sort of looking through me and be like, this it can't be him because directors are usually a bit older, I guess, or, or behave in a certain different way. And I remember feeling this pressure of, oh, I, I guess I need to shout a bit more, or I guess I need to be a bit more louder on the microphone. Or I, I don't know, I need to walk mm-hmm. around with a certain uh, don't touch me vibes uh, and, and uh, yeah. to get their respect. And I was still, we finished the first scene and I remember still sort of, you know, fiddling with that idea that I need to behave perhaps differently because I don't think I'm like, everybody's listening to me because they're professional. Nobody's being like mean to me at all. But these new folks who have just come today to said, I, I can feel that I need to earn their respect because the focus puller and I had like a different kind of, you know, he was like, I was like, no, keep it out of focus. And he's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. Keep try to keep that out of focus. I don't want the focus to be on him. I want the focus to be on her. And he's like, "Oh, weird guy. He doesn't know. He's learned the lesson." And I was like, "Okay, let's wait. Let's wait." And I finished the second scene and we finished the day. 
And I realized the second or third day that they started respecting me because they actually were enjoying the process of making the film and they started seeing the monitor and they were like, okay, actually the footage looks good. And we understand what the film is, you know, shaping up. It, it looks good. The acting is good. So I guess we're fine. He knows, I guess, what he's doing. And I didn't give, I gave into the pressure of acting a certain way. Uh, to acting like yeah, a director. Yeah. And a lot of people have to, like, and, and I felt the pressure of acting like a director. And I was like, I, I yeah. clearly don't look like a director from all the BTS and all the things that I have seen growing up, you know, the making of movies, etc. I don't look like a director on my set, I felt. And, and I thought that that's okay. We can redefine what it means to be a director because I, I would not be comfortable. I'm hugely uncomfortable yeah. if somebody shouts at me and I'm, I have never shouted on a set and I can't do it. Yeah. And I, I just find that to be extremely offensive because anybody shouts, even when the gaffer shouts at like somebody who's subordinate to him, I suddenly get so stressed out and anxious and everybody's now anxious, right? even though they don't even know what the problem is and it might be a very small problem and there's just bad energy. And it's unproductive. If you think yeah. of it, it's actually against the productivity that everybody's trying to achieve. So I'm like, no matter if your reason is humanity or empathy or productivity, even for the productivity reason, you should just be nicer uh, and, and keep yeah. your volume low and your tone at least normal and nice because uh, it, it leads to more productive humans. It leads to happier humans. Yeah. You get work done faster. People are listening to each other more actively and using their you know ears more than their mouths. And and it wasn't just me, I will say. It was my producer. It was my actors. It was my AD who was running the set. Who, you know, it was, mm. it was all of them who actually want, like, were bringing the same, having the same realization as first-time producer, as first-time to be like, we, I guess we will just behave like this and we'll see if we're able to make it. You know? mm. And maybe some days we'll run later and that's okay. Which set doesn't run later? Even the ones yeah. where people are shouting, they run late as well. So we're fine. Right. Just nobody wants to be there yeah, when they're like, being We would ask that, everybody. That every time we're late, we go around and we ask everybody, is everybody okay with being late on, on the shoot? And we always would get mm -hmm. yes as an answer. But the fact that they had a choice, that they could actually walk off set, you know, was everything right. to them. So that the one day that somebody said, no, actually today I do need to leave. You know, we can't do it. We'd be like, okay, let's yeah. leave. And we'll figure it out, you know? So refreshing. I love hearing about this leadership style. And I think it's super important to... For people to know that one, the, the, the yelling is not just how it is and it's not okay. And, and, and I'm wait, I am waiting for the moment that I'm on set where somebody yells at me and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, I've been, I've, I was not a director. I started as an AD and I, I've worked on other sets and I've been yelled at, you know, and I, I like, so I like, I cannot picture putting my, anybody else in that position of being like. I think for anybody who actually starts from the basics, from the lower jobs, they, they do turn out to be nicer directors because they've been there. You don't wanna, you know, yeah. uh, they don't glorify that kind of trauma. Well, I can't wait to see what, what as, you're as you continue to make films and you continue to lead the trickle down of your leadership style, because it does, I think it is a, this is a turning point in this industry. And I think the behavior that was accepted even two, three years ago is being questioned. And, and I think we need to see, we, you are a proof point that you can make a successful, beautiful, haunting, incredible film and lead with empathy. So thank you. I will add one thing. We had a lot of women on set. Like Lee, as, as like my lead producer was a woman, my AD was a woman, my production designer mm -hmm. was a woman, you know, our costume designer was a woman. We had a lot of these department heads who were women. And 
they and and that has something to do with this as well. Your set, your both your film and your set are deconstructing the patriarchy in real time. That's how it should be. No? <laughs> I love that. Now, uh, as we wrap up here, what advice do you have for somebody who's just getting started as a filmmaker? Maybe they're about to endeavor on their first short or picking up their phone to make a sketch with their siblings. I, 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 my first honest, genuine advice would be don't take my advice, whatever it is, if it doesn't <laughs> resonate with you, you know, uh, because I, I, I do think eventually the kind of work that we do, which is so subjective in nature, like I, I cannot make the film that you're making and you can't make the film that I'm making, even if it's the same script and that different things will resonate with different people. And so it's just best to be like my experience and my journey is really going to be my own. My mistakes are going to be my own. And mm-hmm. it's of course great and mm-hmm. very important to collect all the information and experiences because many of them will be helpful to you in different ways, uh, but to be prepared that you will have a very specific experience. And, and when you're in the middle of that specific experience, you might as well make your own choice and make your own mistakes. You know, I, I mm-hmm. made the amount of bad short films that I have made is, is insane before I made one decent one, you know, and, 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 I, I was, and I, I realized that I made, a, I guess probably one of them perhaps would have turned out to be good if I didn't have so much pressure to make it into like, I don't know, I thought I need to make a short film and it needs to be, I don't know, some sort of a classic or something like it needs to be perfect. And I wish I had somebody had told me to just be like, go and play, have fun, you know, like try yeah. your things, be, be, or do whatever you want to do, especially with, with short films, because you don't get that kind of leverage with features. You don't get to take those risks with features, yeah. you know, so you might as well learn all that you want to about yourself and how you want to make movies and what kind of movies you want to make, how, where do you want to put the camera? You know, if it feels like a weird mm-hmm. spot that the crew will laugh at you, if you tell them that this is the spot where you want to shoot the scene from, don't worry about it. Make a mockery of yourself and put the camera yeah, where right. you want to, you know? And if it doesn't work out, say, sorry, I'm going to bring it back to the standard visual spot that you were <laughs> expecting, but do put it where you wanted to put it, you know, try it out. Uh, yeah. Because, because you'll regret not making your own mistakes. I would, that's my one thing that, don't listen to anyone. Eventually, I mean, listen to everyone, but do what you want eventually. You know, like, experience open, but the final decision should always be yours because, yeah. I love that. Well, it sounds like I just can't wait to see what happens next. Are you allowed to say what's next on the radar? I'm allowed to say I don't have much to say. That's the only thing. <laughs> no, I'm right. I just started writing, so it's too soon. So you'll unpack your suitcase and then finish writing. I will. And uh, let's see which happens first. I started writing because the suitcase unpacking just kept getting delayed and delayed. So I was like, I might as well start writing now because I can't wait for the travel to end. I do find that I get my best writing done on an airplane where there's no cell phone. That is correct. Airplanes and airports are my friends. <laughs> see, days. we love it. We love the travel. Well, Sam, thank you so thank much, you so much. for joining good. us. It was truly a pleasure. And uh, everybody go see Joyland now. Thank you so much to Saim Sadiq for helping us redefine what it means to be a director. Like Saim mentioned, we don't have to accept the way things are or the way that things have been on our sets or in the world. 
I can't wait for you all to see this film if you haven't already and see what an amazing story you can create while being an ethical leader. And I hope you take the time to sit with it at the end, like the audiences at CAM. So thank you so much for tuning in. You can like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. You can follow us on No Film School across all socials. You can also email us podcast at nofilmschool.com. I want to hear from you. What was your favorite shot in Joyland? And that's all we got for today. Until next time, thanks. Thanks.